there. I'm so happy to see you back here with the Moonshine Podcast. I am your host, Hagen Luat, and I feel like I need to address the fact that it has taken me almost two months to get an um, episode three out to you guys. No, I promise I am not pod fading after only two episodes. Um, I was having some problems with bugs on the website a while back, and in a peak of anger, I just deleted the whole thing with one button. Just delete, and it was gone. So I have spent the last several weeks um, rebuilding moonshine.life. I'm still rewriting and posting a lot of the articles, but it is back up and running the way it should. Um, If you guys see anything that needs fixing, please email me and let me know. Um, Let's see, on the calendar, today is May 3rd. The moon is waning, and the dark moon will be on Tuesday, May 11th in Taurus. Now, the dark moon is a time of inner work, shadow work, and divination. Um, Taurus energy is about hearth and home, um, the finer things in life, and um, arts and music things like that so this aspect would be a good time to work on maybe some protection spells for your home or your property or maybe a binding to help resolve your impulse spending habits or you know impulse eating or drinking habits as well Um, anything having to do with the home with the finer things in life with art with music um, you know too much partying too much eating anything like that would go well um, on a Taurus dark moon now remember the energy in Taurus is very slow to manifest so it's not a quick one-stop type of spell it does take a little while to fully manifest But once it does, anything with Taurus energy is very enduring. So it's it's very grounded. It takes a while to mature. But once it does, it lasts for a very long time. So um, that is the only thing I've got for the calendar. Um, Beltane is coming up. I know a lot of people like to celebrate Beltane on, you know, May 1st or the night before May 1st, um, May Day. I, however, celebrate um, the cross quarters on their as- actual astrological dates. So for me, Beltane is coming up in a couple of days on May the 5th. Um, We can talk about that a little bit later. But first, guess what? We got an email. Oh, Miles here. What's this? A letter for me. So I got an email the other day from a listener in Washington, D.C. He took issue with something I said on episode two. I will read the email to you. 
Um, it reads, Tegan, let me begin by saying that I'm glad to hear that you're back on the air. Your website looks great, and it was nice to hear your voice again after all these years. One of the things I like about your podcast is your upbeat way of presenting things. I feel that the purpose of spirituality is to uplift people. That's why I was a little surprised in the podcast I listened to yesterday when you referred to some people as low-life crackheads. It seemed really out of character, and I was a little taken aback. I think that most of America today knows someone with an addiction issue and maybe someone close to them. Nobody ever chooses to be an addict, and those people were loved by someone. I just felt like I needed to say this because normally you are a strong encourager, and he signs it, or she signs it, stating my truth, a fan in D.C., so fan in DC. Um, I agree with you that drug addiction is a serious issue and to characterize someone as a crackhead is probably not socially acceptable. So I do apologize for offending you. Um, on the other hand, the people that I was talking about when I made that comment really are lowlifes. They lie and steal and manipulate and pull guns on people's father. And whether it's the drugs making them do it or not, it is inexcusable. Um, people need to be held accountable for their choices. Falling prey to a chemical addiction is unfortunate. It really is. And health care in America, especially mental and behavioral care, is tough to come by, especially for those in lower and even middle socioeconomic classes. But again, dependency is not a free card to allow someone to get away with despicable or even criminal behavior. Um, and it's true, I will admit to you, I had someone close to me who did struggle a lot with those issues and found himself, you know, in rehab. I, he, he lost his job. He lost his friends. He lost everything. And luckily he was able to come out the other side and, um, do better. When he passed away, he had been clean of drugs and alcohol for, over 10 years or so. Um, but I realized that not everyone is that lucky. And if I would have heard someone referring to him at the time as a low-life crackhead, I know I would have been pissed off. So um, I do realize that what I said was harsh, especially for people who, who don't know the people that I was referring to and really how bad the situation was. For those of you who did not hear episode two, I was telling a story about a friend of mine who had family members who were taking advantage of an elderly grandparent, stealing money, manipulating, opening credit cards in you know, their grandparents' names and forging checks <laughs> from their bank account. I mean, literally stealing thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars. And when the family tried to intervene and put a stop to it, that one of these people actually pulled a gun on their father, on my friend's father, 
telling him to mind his own business and and to keep away and those are the people I referred to as low-life crackheads um, perhaps their drug use was <laughs> was incidental in the the whole scheme of things but you know maybe calling them out as crackheads wasn't the the nicest thing for me to do but um, for some reason I can't get Master of Puppets to stop playing in my head now <laughs> so anyway fan in DC this is for you try for an apology sorry I'm so sorry that you want to hear me say it I'll say it here it is from the blackest part of my heart. I am sorry. Thank you, Megamind. And um, all jokes aside, to our fan in DC, I do apologize that you were offended. I hope all's good now. Um, moving on to our Magic 101 segment. Today, in the Magic 101 segment, I wanted to talk about the energy that we use to create magic. Let's face it, casting spells is one of the things that makes witches unique from everyone else. I mean, we talk about communing with nature and working with deity and living by a creed and blah blah blah, all the stuff that goes with witchery, and it's all great and noble and authentic stuff, but you gotta admit, casting spells is pretty cool, right? Um, one of the first things I address in any pagan class I teach is the nature of energy. Anyone who wants to make magic needs to understand this basic fact and then we build from there. So rather than repeat myself, I am going to play a clip from the old Moonshine podcast. This was originally recorded in August of 2008, if you can believe it. Jeez, how time flies. So let's all jump into the TARDIS and travel back to Tegan Luad in 2008. Alonzi. Anyway, lead on. Alonzi, but not too fast. Our ankle's going. Hello there, welcome back. Um, <clears throat> we'll go ahead and dive right into the main topic of the show today, which is real magic and where does it come from. Um, last week, in response to Amethyst's letter, we talked a little bit about the laws of, laws of attraction and you know how important it is that you keep a positive attitude when working magic or after working magic for that matter. Um, <clears throat> I wanted to take a minute or two today and talk about real magic. Um, I know on past shows and on the website, I give a lot of information on the correspondences, um, candle colors, planetary energies, and so on. But this is a good time to mention that all of these things are only tools to aid us. Um, they do not create the real magic. The real magic comes from you and your interaction with the universal energy. 
And yes, I am going to wax scientific for just a moment, but bear with me. Um, this is a basic principle of quantum physics, and anyone who has watched What the Bleep Do We Know will understand how it all ties together. And by the way, if you have not watched that movie, go right now, pause the video, <laughs> pause the audio, and go rent it from your local video store. Um, I highly recommend it. It will open your eyes to, to a lot of things. Now, everything that I'm going to say is probably review for most of my listeners, but from all the Witchcraft 101 books that I've read, I can't ever recall obtaining this information from any of them, and to me, this is the first thing anyone should know if they're going to attempt spell work or any kind of energy work, and basically... Even people who are not attempting spell or energy work because it, it explains how we're tied together to everything else in the universe. So, what is universal energy? The Taoists call it chi. Hindus call it prana. George Lucas called it the force. But no matter what label you choose... The cosmic energy is omnipresent and it's pervasive. It permeates every cell in your body and the cells of everything around you, and this is scientific fact. The energy is there at a subatomic level of everything that exists, including you and me and the farthest star out in the galaxy. Um, in order to describe this, I always use an example that I adapted from Idzok Bentov's theory of the supermicroscope, and it goes like this. Take a look at the back of your hand. What do you see? Skin, maybe a freckle or two. Now imagine your hand under a microscope. This is a supermicroscope that will allow us to magnify down to the subatomic level. At the first level, we see our skin cells organized in an orderly fashion. We see the cell walls tightly clinging to each other in order to create the waterproof barrier that protects us. When we magnify further to the cellular level, you see some pretty weird shapes floating around in a liquid-type substance. These are things like endoplasmic reticulum, mitochondria, the Golgi apparatus, ribosomes, all of those $25 words that <laughs> that you learned in biology class. Um, they're all floating around in the cytoplasm, and they're going about their business performing their individual functions to sustain the, sustain the cells, provide energy and, and reproduction in the cells, and in a larger scope, um, they're sustaining our bodies. Now, when we zoom in much, much, much further millions of times further to the atomic level, we can see the millions of atoms that make up the millions of molecules that comprise these cells in our bodies. Each of these atoms looks like a tiny universe spiraling inside of us. Electron planets orbiting around their sun-like nuclei. Each nucleus is made up of protons and neutrons dancing to a beat that's only known to them. But what is all of that floating in? Nothing. They're suspended in what appears to be empty space. But the space is not empty. It is here that the cosmic energy flows. 
at the basic subatomic level of every cell in the universe, whether it is you, (laughs) a human, an animal, a tree, a rock, or a drop of water, there is the energy pulsing, radiating, and connecting us to everything that exists. That is the divine energy directly from the God and Goddess. And this energy responds to only one thing, and that's emotion. When we connect to the universal energy and the source of that energy on the astral plane, we can create what we want on the physical plane. This is how we make real magic. When we talk about spellcraft, what color candles to use, which incense to burn, and when is the best time to perform a spell to achieve our results, it's important to remember that these things are only tools. They are there to help us. They lend their energies to us to reach our goals. But these these things by themselves are not magical. It is their inherent energies that make them magical. And we use our emotions, our will, and our intention to integrate this energy into our own. We then shape it and direct it in a way that brings about a desired outcome. Now, you don't have to perform an elaborate spell to utilize the divine energy. It's dynamic and it's always working. And this is where the law of attraction kicks in, as it's commonly known by by the muggles and the non-magic folk out there. Um, if you're always thinking negative thoughts, feeling sorry for yourself, carrying around a negative self-image, the cosmic energy hears this and goes forth to bring you what you say you want, which is more self-pity, more ne- negative circumstances. This is why it's so important to develop your self-esteem and keep yourself in a positive mindset. I'm not saying walk around like a Pollyanna with your rose-colored glasses perched squarely on your nose. That's not realistic, and frankly, it just gets on everyone's nerves. But don't dwell on the bad stuff. Think about what you can do to change it and concentrate on the solutions, not the problem. The universe will hear you and good things will be on their way. Or for the very skeptical, at least you won't be calling any more bad things to you. LOL, right? (laughs) Well, at least it's good to know that I was preaching the same things in 2008 that I'm preaching in 2021. (laughs) Um, At one point in the clip, I instructed you to run to the video store. Do those even exist anymore? (laughs) But I do stand by what I said about the movie, What the Bleep Do We Know? It's still mind-bending. I'll put a link to it in the show notes if you've never seen it. It's definitely worth the time to watch the movie. But as far as energy goes, I hope you all catch what I'm trying to say to you. The energy that I was referring to now and in that clip is what connects us all to each other and to everything that exists, both in our physical reality and on the higher planes and dimensions. Remember the video that I suggested to you last episode, This is Water? In the opening of the video, David Foster Wallace tells the parable about the goldfish swimming around and the 
older goldfish asks the two younger ones, how's the water? And then one of the younger ones looks at his friend and says, what is water? What I'm saying to you is that this energy field is the water that we're all immersed in. It's inside our bodies physically, and it's inside our astral bodies and our spirits as well. Just like the goldfish can't see the water because it is what creates his world. It's the stuff of his world. Most people go through life never becoming aware of this energy field that supports all of the building blocks of matter. It's in the air we breathe. It connects us not only to each other, to the universe, but to the past and future universes. This is how we make magic. The sooner you realize this, the sooner you can learn to detect it and direct it for the things that you want and need. I could go on all day, but let's take a quick look at Beltane before we go. Now, I know for most people, as I said before at the top of the show, most people celebrate Beltane on May Day or May 1st, but I celebrate the cross quarters on their astrological dates. Um, you know, for those of you who are very, very new, the wheel of the year, um, it consists of the quarters, which are the equinoxes and the solstices, and those are considered the greater Sabbaths. The lesser, quote, Sabbaths, not that they're any less important, but the um, lesser Sabbaths are the cross quarters, and those are the dates that fall directly in between those solstice and equinox dates. Beltane is a cross quarter, and it falls exactly between the spring equinox, which is Astara, and the summer solstice, which is midsummer. Now, Beltane is the last of the three fertility festivals. Um, it's all about fire, passion, and fertilization. On the Wheel of the Year, Beltane sits opposite Samhain, which means they share many attributes, and one is the flip side of the other. On Samhain, um, the veil becomes very thin, and if you've heard of the wild hunt, um, things like that, the spirits and our ancestors cross through the veil and come to visit us on the night of Samhain. Beltane is the opposite of that. On Beltane, the veil is particularly thin, but the danger on Beltane night is stumbling unbeknownst into the world of fairy and becoming trapped on the other side of the veil. Um, in light of that, I will tell you the story of Poish from the first branch of the Mabinogion. Now, Poish is not a god in the Welsh pantheon, but he is a hero in the stories, and he is basically an archetype for the fool in the sense that he, um, like the fool in the major arcana of the tarot, Poish is an innocent and a bit naive. He blindly goes about his life and is constantly bumping into magic and deity, 
because of his honest and gallant nature, he always emerges a hero. Um, he's an optimist. He never considers the repercussions of his actions, but has faith in himself and his fellow man. Um, in the Welsh language, poish means prudence or discretion, which is something that our hero does not have at all. So um, in a nutshell, the story of Poish, um, Chief of Anuvan, is the very first tale. It opens the Mabinogion. Um, Poish was a prince of Dyfed, which today is the counties of Pembrokeshire, Carmarthenshire, and Ceredigion. Um, it's in the southwest of Wales. Um, one day, Poish is out hunting with his friends, and he becomes separated from them. So it's just him and his dogs wandering around in the forest. Um, at some point, he hears another set of dogs in the distance howling and, and baying and he goes toward the sound when he comes upon a clearing in the forest. He sees in that clearing that the that the other dogs, not his, have taken down a stag. And the story um, emphasizes the fact that although the stag was, you know, a beautiful, majestic stag, that the dogs themselves were even more interesting because of their shining white coats and their bright red ears. Um, now, Poish, um, being who he is and never thinking things through, chases those dogs away and sets his own dogs on the stag, basically stealing, you know, stealing their trophy, claiming it for his own. Um, a hunter appears in the forest, all dressed in gray, and he tells Poish that he is around. He's a king of Anuvan, and that Poish has dishonored him by stealing the prey. Poish begs for a chance to atone and make things right with around. And um, around tells him that there is only one way that he can redeem himself. And his plan is that he's going to switch places with Poish for the period of one year. And he will give Poish his countenance so that no one can tell that it's not him and in return he will look like Poish and he will go rule in Diveed for a year while Poish enjoys being a king of Anuvan for a year. Of course he agrees and Aran says that the one thing Poish has to do is in the period of one year from that day, he has to meet Aran's enemy, his greatest enemy, Havgen, um, and slay him once and for all, rid him of his enemy. And he tells Poish that he only has to kill him with one stroke, and no matter how much Havgen begs him, he cannot kill him with a second stroke. Um, that's a long story there and a whole new a whole new tale. But of course Poish agrees and he 
goes to an, into Anuvan, into Aram's castle, and lives there for a year. No one ever knows that he's not their king. And he spends time with Aram's wife and his friends and lives at his court and has a great time. Um, the appointed day comes and he does go and he strikes down Havgen and then switches back into himself and goes home and lives happily, if not happily ever after, at least happily for now, <laughs> until the next story begins. But a, a few things that we take from that story is, number one, Anuvan is the other side of the veil. Um, some people, especially Wiccans, may call it the Summerland, um, the world of fairy, it is the other side of the veil, the other world, or the underworld. Um, it is the home of magic. And in the Mabinogian, one clue that a character is about to cross the veil into the land of Anuvan is by reference of color, specifically white and red. Um, remember, the dogs um, had strange coloring, and the quote from the story is, for their hair was a brilliant shining white, and their ears were red, and the whiteness of their body shone, so did the redness of their ears glisten. Um, this is a clue for the reader that Poish has crossed the veil. Other tips throughout the stories um, that someone is about to enter a Nuvin are the hunt for a stag, um, se severe fog banks, as is told in the second part of Poish's story, Rhiannon's Courtship. Um, one thing to remember is that Anuvan is not a geographical place on the map. It is the world of magic that lives both within and without our own world. Um, we're always just one breath away from Anuvan. We need only adjust our vision and lift the veil. It is overlaid across our own physical reality. So it's always there, just sort of in a different dimension, you could say. Now, Aran is the Lord of the Forest. Um, his incarnations include Gwen Apnuth. Um, he's Hearn the Hunter. He's also known as the Holly King. Um, now, it is said that this story is also illustrating the cycle of the Holly and Oak King since Aran and Havgan meet once a year and have this duel or this battle against each other every year on the same appointed day every year that um, around is the Holly King and Havgan is the Oak King. Um, another thing that it is believed, although it never says so in the story, is that Rhiannon was the wife of Aran in his palace, and that is where she first meets and sets her eyes on Poish. Um, in part two of the first branch, we learn the story of how she courts Poish and marries him. And that's a whole other story again unto itself. 
Um, let's see, we have hit and gone over the 30 minute mark. So we're going to wrap up this episode. Um, that's about all we have time for today. Again, I do encourage all of you to send me an email at tagan at moonshine.life or like our friend in D.C., you can also reach me through the contact form on the website. Um, I am Tegan Luad on Facebook, and I am at T. Luad on Twitter. Again, Luad is spelled L-L-E-U-A-D. Um, you can also go to the website to join the mailing list so that you'll be notified every time a new episode hits the airwaves. Um, I want to thank you all for listening, and I hope to see you next time. Bye-bye, y'all.